Welcome to the Do More Podcast, where we share strategies and tips for improving your life in every aspect. Here's your host, John Farling. All right, today we have Scott Hannes out of Cleveland, Ohio, who I met about about a year and a half ago at a mastermind up there in Cleveland. Uh, I know he's kind of a part of the team that the, the mastermind that we went to. His background is in HR. Um, I'm sure he's going to have a lot more value to provide than just HR. He's also running a mastermind of his own. So welcome. Appreciate you coming on. And uh, let's start with just give everyone a brief background about who you are, what you're doing, and uh, and we'll just roll from there. All right, let's go. It's going to be an exciting conversation. How's that, John? Uh, so That's awesome. So Wake everybody up. Yeah, we got to wake everybody up. Let's go. So <laughs> HR is not always, you know, fun and sexy, but uh, I try to make it sexy, right? And so uh, Scott Hannes, uh, live here and I live in Cleveland, Ohio, own a company called Fortitude HR Solutions. We do recruiting, we do business and HR consulting with clients all across the United States and been doing this now for about four and a half years and, uh, you know, did meet John at a, another mastermind that we had here in Cleveland. And so uh, just really appreciate the opportunity, number one, to talk with you as well as any of your uh, you know, viewers are going to be watching this and, you know, I, I just want to add value. So whatever I can do to add value to this conversation and help people, that's what I'm all about. Um, been in human resources now since uh, 2005. Uh, so almost going on 20 years. And so I love helping people. I love adding value. And so HR doesn't need to be boring like Toby from the office or like he's the worst or you know, like if you've ever seen the movie Office Space, like the, the Bobs, the consultants, like I don't want to be like that ever. Uh, there's always three sides to a story. There's always, you know, some type of gray area, but there's some things that are black and white when you come to like human resources and what you can and can't do based upon employment, labor laws and stuff like that. Um, but we, we specialize in helping, you know, clients grow their businesses. I do more strategic consulting than, you know, I don't want to write employee handbooks. I don't want to process payroll. So we stay away from that stuff. And then the other side of our business, we do a lot of uh, recruiting. So we help clients find talent. Um, you know, we're still in, I think, a very tough labor market. It's not something that I think, you know, you can post a job on Indeed and get a bunch of candidates. I mean, you can, but if you're not used to hiring people, you don't know what questions to ask, you don't know how to vet candidates, it can still be very challenging. So we kind of help remove some of those pain points for our clients and help them find the best talent possible. It's awesome. So I'm going to back up a little bit because I love yeah, hearing yeah. people's stories. So you said since 2005, and this is your company now. It's Correct. obviously your for hire, I guess, is the best way to put it, mm -hmm. HR. Um, so when you started, what did that look like? Were you working for somebody else? Was it your own company? How did that kind of evolve? Yeah. So uh, prior to me starting Fortitude HR Solutions with my wife, Laura, I worked for a private equity firm. I was the vice president of human resources. I was there for two years. Um, again, loved what I did and, and loved helping companies and people. HR has got a fine line, I think, a fine role. Like you're typically, especially in, in an organization, you want to help the employer or, you know, the organization, but you also want to help the employee or the team members. And so being fair and impartial and kind of towing that line, I think is super important. Not everybody in human resources is really good at it. Some people are too pro-employee or pro-team member. And other people are too pro-employer, right? So like the company, yes, people. And so being able to distinguish that, I think, is what made me successful in my career. Um, and, and so with that, you know, I was at the private equity firm for two years, loved what I did, was able to help them turn things around um, and, you know, add the right structure and people and process kind of in, in, in place from a human resources standpoint. 
but I, I knew that guy was always called for more, right? And kind of like the name of your podcast, the Do More podcast, um, you know, I, I felt like I could give back and help more small businesses and medium-sized businesses than helping large organizations. And so uh, it was really put on my heart by my neighbor, Tim Bratz, uh, who has, you know, a ton of real estate throughout the United States, owns apartment buildings, has another mastermind group called Legacy Family. He, he asked me to come in and help him for a couple of days in November of 2018 uh, during like Thanksgiving timeframe. And so I went in there, helped him out. We, we looked at like setting core values. We did that as a team exercise. We looked at like task responsibilities, writing job descriptions. We put in a performance management system. And then we set goals and objectives for what do we want to accomplish in the next 12 to you know 18 months. We drew an organizational chart out. And Tim's like, Scott, he goes, you got to quit your job. And so it took a lot of convincing, you know, because I was at a private equity firm. I had a lot of stability. I was doing really well, paid a very large salary, had a you know 50% bonus opportunity, had a nice car allowance, you know, had executive life insurance, and then I had stock options, right? And so I went from having all this security and all this great stuff to, you know, Tim's like, you should quit your job. And then, you know, I'm a faith-filled guy. So it took me about six months of prayer, you know, talking with my wife, talking with my pastor and figuring out, is this where God's calling me to, you know, to really do? And so six months later, decided to put my notice in. I had an employment agreement or contract with a private equity firm, gave them ample notice, worked on a transition plan and just overnight, I went from making this large amount of money to nothing. Um, so it was scary. But if you don't believe in yourself and you don't have faith in yourself, who's going to believe in you? And so I was very fortunate not to have some of the ups and downs of being a, a new entrepreneur. I had a great support system between my wife and my pastor and my family, uh, Tim being you know someone that was encouraging me to do this. And I didn't have a lot of the up and down roller coasters that most you know new business owners had. And so day one, June 24th of 2019 is when we started and we had a client day one. Like I didn't have to go out and do a bunch of like networking or marketing. And so like we were very fortunate and we've been very fortunate since day one. We've, we've had a lot of referrals and just word of mouth marketing. And it wasn't until this year in March that we actually hired a marketing company. And now, you know, they're producing content and all this stuff for us. But prior to that, it was just all word of mouth. And so been very fortunate and very blessed along this journey. Um, I know a lot of other people don't have that luxury. Um, and so I, I don't take that for granted. I'm very grateful every day for that. And, you know, one of my personal missions at Fortitude HR Solutions is, you know, kind of like what you have, like the do more podcast. You know, if I can do more, if I have more, then I can give more. Right. And so I want to make an impact. I want to help at least one person a day. That's just a personal mantra, vision of mine, mission of mine. And so I feel like, you know, with the work that we do at Fortitude HR Solutions, or we also own another business called Impact Alliance, which is a business retreat. And we're going to be putting on like workshops monthly around different, you know, functions in the business, whether it's, you know, HR people, operations, sales, marketing, just to really give people those core fundamental things that they need, especially as, you know, you're a small business owner, you know, you're really the face of the organization. You may not know all those other aspects of the business, you don't need to go it alone. There's people like myself and our team at Impact Alliance that do those kind of things. So that's a long-winded answer to your question. I love um, it. Yeah. And then prior to that, I worked for an international company. I did international HR stuff um, and I was part of the merger and acquisition team. And so we were owned by uh, Barclays and like 26 other banks out of Germany. The company name was Neumeyer Tech4. It went through some, you know, some issues with bankruptcy 
We ended up selling the, the business to one of our JV partners, Amtech out of India. And then Amtech went on a big like buying spree. And so they wanted to really expand their global footprint outside of India. And we acquired like $1.5 billion worth of assets in like 18 months. So wow. talk about like crazy change management, transition management. We did a lot of like mergers and acquisitions. And so I was part of the M&A team. Uh, to go out and evaluate deals and work with. We worked with Grant Thornton as our partner, but I led the the due diligence aspect of those deals for anything HR related. And so it was kind of cool to be able to go in there uh, to these different businesses and, and find out about the leadership team, ask a bunch of due diligence questions, analyze the data, and then give like executive summaries to our leadership team at Amtech and just figure out, is it a good deal? Is it a bad deal? What's the potential risk? Who are the people, you know, to use Jim Collins phrase, who do we want to keep on the bus and who maybe do we not want to keep on the bus? So having the right people in the right seats. And so that gave me a lot of background in some of the, the merger and acquisition uh, you know, background that I have. So Yeah, for sure. So <laughs> I want to dig into a lot of that stuff. Go for um, it. So let's start with a lot of people I have on here, are entrepreneurs. That's just it just kind of worked out that way. So most of them have some sort of pain that they're they left their job for right they got into most of them are real estate entrepreneurs mm-hmm. right real estate investors for yourself it didn't sound like you had that pain to leave your job mm-hmm. you had tim talking mm-hmm. to you but mm-hmm. other than that you had to and you can't get you're not allowed to give us an hr answer here you had to have something that was like you know what tim's right maybe i should look into this what was it that not just tim chirping Mm-hmm. What was it that kind of pushed you like, yeah, I need to look into this and to leave my job and start my own thing? Yeah, I, I think it's the I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Right. You know, like, mm-hmm. again, you can work for yourself or you can work for someone else in the private equity space. I was probably putting in 80 to 100 hour work weeks, you know, and so I was never home with my family. Uh, I traveled a bit a lot uh, prior to that job when I worked for Amtech, like I had responsibility. I was the director of HR for the Americas team. And so I had a location in Mexico and I had three locations in Brazil. And I mean, like there was days that I, I missed anniversaries with my wife. I missed birthdays. I missed sporting events with my son, Alexander. And so at the end of the day, like, you know, this allows me to have a little bit more time flexibility. Not that, again, I have time freedom where I'm, I'm able to you know, take and you know, only work four hours a week. That's just not me. And I never will be like that. Like, I actually want to work. I like working. This is not work to me, it's really fun, like to help people and to see the progression, you know, being able to work with a client, you know, today and say, okay, three years ago, four years ago, they were doing $4 million and now they're doing $30 million. I feel like I've had a great impact on that. Now I haven't done all the work. The client's got to do the work, but I'm there as like an advisor and we're able to talk through those things and, you know, figure out what relationships do we need to leverage and, you know, what type of goal setting do we need to plan? And so to me, it was a, a big tug on my heart to be able to you know get away from the corporate lifestyle, um, you know, only worrying about the bottom line and figuring out how can I help impact more people, right? And so, um, not that it's a bad thing, but like at the private equity firm, we had a, a tornado like literally a quarter mile from our facility, and you know, like nobody wanted to do anything, and I'm like freaking out, like, hey, like this is gonna hit the building, like our people, what's gonna happen? And I knew when like we didn't put people in the tornado shelters that's just probably not a place where I'm going to stay. And so I, uh, in human resources, you know, you have all kinds of different facets of the, of the, the function in a business. I really love benefits. So I was going to go uh, work for a company called Oswald companies out of Cleveland. 
And if I didn't start my own company, that's probably where I would be today. Because again, I feel like you can help people through benefits. And, um, and then it's met, you know, met with Tim, Tim's my neighbor. And so Tim's like, Hey, like you should help other people. And I realized there's a huge need for this. And so again, like I've been a secret agent, John, I would say up till March or April of this year, um, where I'm just doing my thing. I don't tell people what I'm doing. And now it's time to like spread the word of what we're doing at Fortitude HR Solutions, what we're doing at Impact Alliance. And again, how can we make an impact and help these people, especially when you're an entrepreneur, you know, especially sometimes you're a solopreneur, it's just you, you don't know who to hire, you don't know how to multiply your efforts. Um, and at the end of the day, like, and I just talked about this with a client that I was doing some training for, but leadership and ownership of a business is very lonely, right? It's not like you're having a bad month or a bad day. And you can go and complain to your team like they don't want to hear that you need to be the positive person that's uplifting other people but you know and, and this is not a scott hannis thing but like there's the roller coaster of like being an entrepreneur like one day you're like yes this is the best thing i did the next day or the next minute you're like what the heck did i just do right like i should be working for someone else and so like i don't think entrepreneurship is for the faint of heart i think you need to be strong-willed i think you need to realize you're going to fall down on your face and you got to get back up and you got to keep grinding. You got to keep, you know, moving forward. But it takes that tenacity. It takes that, you know, fortitude. It takes that resourcefulness to be able to, like, put yourself in the right rooms. And that's why I love what you and Ian do at LFG Mastermind. Like, it's, it's all about surrounding yourself with the right kinds of people, whether they're advisors, whether they're consultants, whether they're people that have been there, done that, or whether it's people that you just need to vent to, right? God's blessed me with two big ears. They kind of stick out, right? So I do a lot of listening. Um, and, and then I want to, again, if your heart is true and you want to help other people and impact other people, like, I, I just feel like that kind of comes back to you full circle. And I think that's why we've been so successful over the last four and a half years. So that's awesome. I think, and I keep hearing the same thing. You want to help people. Yep. And I think that's probably, I, I remember hearing this. Well, I don't remember, maybe a bigger pockets podcast or something a decade ago. It's like, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't give money or time or, or knowledge or whatever in and thinking that you're going to get something back. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing that the more you help people, the more you do give back, the more comes back to you. And it's like tenfold. Mm -hmm. And that's not the right reason to do it. Um, but yeah, you, you're coming from a place of, I just want to help people. Right. And that's to me, that's, that is probably the most successful people in the world. You just want to help people because, and your goals are probably, I do want to get into goals and, and planning and all that stuff, but your goals are probably a little bit different to where you want to help people. I'm sure you've got other things that you're chasing, but a goal of just helping people, right? That to me is, it's, it's, it's almost infinite in infinity. Mm -hmm. It's whatever, you know, yeah. there, there's no ending to it, right? You can, yeah. you can always help people. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, and, and I would say, i just add on that real quick, John, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I no, think, you know, to me, it comes from my leadership style. Like, I, I feel like I'm a servant leader. I want to give back. So like, if you know, for nuggets for people that want to you know, learn more about leadership, like Simon Sinek is a great leader. Uh, Renee Brown is she's a great leader. Mel Robbins, people uh, like Ken Blanchard. I think he's kind of like the godfather of, of servant leadership. The, the, the OG of all that, though, and, and again, this is faith filled. So again, it's a little taboo for me to talk about it since I'm an HR guy. But I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean, he's your ultimate servant leader, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's that out there. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, even though like it doesn't sound like a big goal, but helping 1% or one person a day, like I can measure that, right? Every day 
if you're doing self-reflection, I'm a big fan of emotional intelligence, EQ. And again, I do a lot of self-awareness, self-reflection. And so did I help one person? Yes or no. I mean, it's very simple. It's black and white to me. And so if I didn't do that, why didn't I do that? What can I do better the next day? Or, you know, what else can I do to, again, to help someone that maybe I didn't think about today? And so the only problem, I'll tell you, again, I'll be very vulnerable. The challenge I have personally with, you know, running Fortitude and being a part of Impact Alliance and helping Tim with Legacy Family is because I have a, like a servant heart or a go-giver heart. The problem is I let people take advantage of me at times, right? Or I, I give too much of myself and I forget about, you know, taking care of my family or, you know, myself at times, or I say yes to too many things. And so yep. um, that's been a challenge. And I have a business coach that I work with, right? Because I need accountability too. Even though I coach other people and help other people, I still need some accountability too. And my business coach's name's Rick. Rick's like, Scott, he goes, you got to say, you know what? Now's not a good time. Like, I want to help you, but now is not a good time. Can I get back to you in a month or two when things are a little bit calmer? And so, again, you're not saying no and you're not shutting the door in their face and slamming it and saying, I can't help you. It's like, no, now is not a good time. So I'm learning that, um, you know, and I'm, I'm 45 and I have a hard time with that still, you know, so. Yeah, but that's to me, that's we all have issues. That's not an issue, but we all have challenges. Right. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's at least a challenge that you can easily fix. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's also what's a strength of yours, Mm -hmm. right? You just want to help people. And that's, that's also what's helped growing your business. That probably is what fulfills you. So yeah, that's not to me. That's yeah. you probably do need to learn to say no a little bit more, but that's also what's gotten you to where you are now. So that's right. That's right. So let's get into, cause I want to selfishly, um, I want to learn more about what you do. Um, I know, you know, when we met, you you kind of led a an activity where we all wrote down our organizational chart, our org mm-hmm. chart. Yep. And at the time, I thought that, and this was kind of a transition in my life too, business wise. Um, I thought that I wanted to be lean, and I wanted to be me, and basically part time people helping me out. And I did my org chart in like ten seconds, mm-hmm. and I was kind of in a way proud of it. But I'm see I'm hearing you talk, and I'm seeing other people talk, and I'm like. It took me a few months to like, maybe even longer than that, but kind of realize people are assets, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, an, I'm a real estate investor and obviously I'm buying assets, but mm-hmm. your bigger assets are people that you're hiring. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you're giving back. So mm-hmm. I think that kind of changed my mindset. But going back to the org chart, what are, I guess, some things, and I'm probably skipping ahead a little bit here, but what are like three things that you can tell people that probably have between one to 10 employees that they can do um, in their business right now as far in terms of HR, obviously org chart is, is maybe one, maybe you have some other ideas, but. Yeah. So w- what I see a lot of times, John, is that people don't have defined roles and responsibilities for those one to 10 employees or team members. And so again, setting clear expectations, whether that's through job descriptions and having out, you know, defining the task and the role and the responsibility having the organizational structure. So people know, not, not again, you know, the military uses chain of command, but again, everybody should have a lane and everybody should kind of stay in that lane because that way you can measure their performance. You can talk about, again, if something didn't get done, whose responsibility was that? If you don't define those lanes and you don't have the job description and the roles and responsibilities defined, people can do a lot of finger pointing, right? And say, okay, that wasn't my job. That's someone else's job. Like, that's the one thing, like there's two, two things that I just despise when people say is 
it's not my job, or <laughs> we've always done it that way, right? Yeah. To me, like you're closed-minded, you're not open for growth, like you're set in your ways. And if you get a chance and you're looking for a good book to read, it's very easy to read. It's called Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer Johnson. And it talks about being able to adapt and change. And as business owners and entrepreneurs, you got to be able to adapt because things are going to come at you that you didn't expect. We'll go back to March of 20. The world shut down with COVID, right? And people and, and organizations, we had to adapt. We had to do things differently in our businesses, in our lives. And again, you can either sit and pout and say, I'm not changing, or you can adapt to that change. And the sooner you adapt to that change and figure out a proactive solution to the problem, the sooner you can evolve as a business or as a person. And so I would say that's another important thing. So job description, organizational chart. I think the third thing that a lot of people over, overlook that in my opinion is critical and, and as well as crucial for your business is setting your culture of what you want out of your organization. And so to me, that goes down to defining your core values or your company values or your guiding principles, whatever you want to call them, writing a mission statement, your vision statement, your value statement, and then not just putting it on the wall, right? Or putting it on your website or social media, but like truly living it out. And when I mean living it out, you hire people based upon those values. So for example, teamwork is a core value that John has in his business. You're interviewing a candidate, right? That you may want to bring onto your team. All right. Sally, Billy, tell me about a time that you've lived out teamwork in the workplace. What did you do to go above and beyond and support your fellow team members, right? And they better have a good example, right? Because otherwise, I'm not asking them the yes or no, can you live out our values? It's more, I want to hear behavioral, situational things that I can understand what they would do in those types of situations, right? Or how they've lived those things out. So I think that's probably the third thing. And I think the fourth thing I would say, I know you only asked for three, but the fourth thing I would say ever. is, you know, you only are going to be as good as your team. If you're yeah. not willing to grow and yeah, you can put automation in place and you can have virtual assistants and virtual professionals. Those are people as part of your team as well. But if you don't define standard operating procedures, you don't measure success with key performance indicators or some type of goal, you're not doing regular communication meetings. I mean, your business is going to fall apart because if I get hit by the beer truck, right? and Scott Hannes is gone, who's leading the organization? Who can step up and do my role? And I see this a lot of times with business owners that are either solopreneurs, only have two or three people, you're limited by your growth potential, right? Because again, you can't expand, you can't do more marketing, right? Marketing and people, they typically have the highest return on your investment, right? When you invest in marketing, as long as you're in the right marketing channels, you're evaluating what your marketing spend is, what your return on that investment is, same thing with your people. Now you got to be able to manage and lead those people as well. But those are, I think, again, that's five or six things now that I said, but I think again, job description with roles and responsibilities, organizational charts. So people know kind of chain of command, what to do, kind of stay in their lane. And if you're a solopreneur right now, your name, like we did the exercise, John, it might be in all those different boxes, right? But when you look at a business, you know, and how it operates, you have, there's usually HR aspects, there's operational aspects, there's sales, marketing, customer service aspects, there's the accounting finance aspects, you might have business development, you might have quality. And so understanding all those components, your name might be in all those boxes to start. So if you're trying to hire your first team member, you know, I would probably suggest hiring an assistant or, you know, somebody that can help you remove, I kind of value time in dollar amount increments, right? And maybe that's not always the best way, but for me, I can quantify it. 
So is it a $10 item, a $100 item, a $1,000 item, or a $10,000 item? And if you truly want to be the CEO or the president or the visionary of the company, you got to focus on the $1,000 and the $10,000 activities, right? So again, how do I grow revenue? How do I grow my brand? How do I get people excited about what we're doing at our organization? How do I hire more people like that so that they can help me with my vision and hitting our goals and objectives? And so Again, you have to not be afraid of the growth. You have to not be afraid of hiring people and expanding your team. Because if you don't do that, to me, that's a limiting mindset belief. You'll never be able to grow to your potential when, hey, I just want to do everything by myself. I want to only work four hours a week. Like to me, when you have a larger team, is that possible? The answer is absolutely, right? But when you're starting out, you're going to grind it out, man. You're going to be working 80, 100 hour work weeks until you are able to hire somebody. And so, you know, a $10 item, and get them going all over the place here, but a $10 item might be like, I'm doing a lot of travel right now. It's the fourth quarter for me. It's really crazy busy between benefit renewals, performance management stuff, setting goals and expectations for the next fiscal year. So this is like my Super Bowl right now. So I'm in Super Bowl mode and like I'm traveling quite a bit. And so as I'm traveling, you know, if I book my own flight, that's not the highest and best use of my time. That's not a revenue generating activity for me. So I need someone else on my team to help me do that. Now you have to give them clear direction. It may be a standard operating procedure, which you can record yourself on Loom. You can go to scribehow.com, record yourself you know, doing some of these things that can create SOPs for you. But again, if they know like, this is how I like to travel. I like these airlines. I want to sit you know, in a, an aisle versus a window. I want to be at this part of the plane. Like Those are things that you can make sure that are documented and someone else can take over that task. So I don't need to think about it. Man, that's a ton of great info. Sorry, I just you almost, no, yeah, don't, no, don't, don't apologize. I wish I could uh, replay that on slower speed. So I have a lot of questions, um, and away, this man. may be what's that? Fire away, let's go. Yeah, this may go all over the place, but well, one, you brought up four-hour work week, and yep. and I kind of I want to get back to everything, um, what you're doing, what you can help with, but what's your opinion on people that do want to work? four hours a week, four hours a month or whatever. Um, I guess, I'll just leave that open. What's your opinion on that? People that, that want to do that. You know, I, I think that's a loaded question. I'll probably get in trouble when I say this, but I, I think if you own a business, it's not realistic, right? Unless you're, it's a truly passive business. Like for example, in real estate investing, if I'm a GP and I give a bunch of money out, I'd probably can work only four hours a week, right? Check on the status of my, my investments, Look at those things. Maybe I'm part of a, a one-hour call once a week to check on updates. Then maybe you can do that. So I think it depends on the business that you operate. Um, but let's say, for example, I'm a, a construction business, right? And I'm a general contractor. I've got a bunch of subcontractors that I have working with me and a bunch of W-2 team members or, or employees that work with me. I may need to check on the status of the projects. I may be needing to go to networking events and like like local chamber events, doing marketing, so I, I don't think it's always realistic. Like everybody talks about they want balance, right? Yep. And again, I want balance too. But guess what? I don't think balance is really achievable as an entrepreneur. I think it's yep. about setting parameters and setting the quality of life that you want. Because here's the thing, John, I think, you know, could you work a four-hour work week as an entrepreneur? Yeah. But how successful are you going to be? And what are your goals? Like if you only want to make $100,000, can you work four hours a week and make that happen? Probably, right? But if you have bigger goals because the name of your podcast, the do more podcast, right? If you want to do more, you have to have more in order to be able to give more and to do more. And so, 
again, it, it comes down to your personal motivation. It comes down to what your why is. Simon Sinek, if you haven't read the book, start with why. Read that book. It talks about your purpose and your kind of your why of why you're doing things. But know those things so that you can then figure out, again, how much effort and time do I need to put out there? I'm not saying you should work yourself to death. I'm not saying that you shouldn't spend time with your family. You have to get really good at time management. You have to get really good at time blocking. There's a lot of times, and when I started out as an entrepreneur, I struggled with that because I went from a very set structured schedule working as a W-2 employer team member as a you know as an executive. And I kind of had some free reign of what I wanted to do, but I also had structured meetings that I had to have happen. I worked in a nice office and then I started Fortitude HR Solutions and we work remote. So then I had to work from home, which is a whole other set of challenges, right? You know, dog needs to go outside. I take the dog out. I'm on Facebook as I'm taking the dog out. And then instead of five minutes, it takes me 10 minutes to get back into the work mode, right? In the office, you can have some of that with like the water cooler discussions or someone coming in, but it's a lot easier to close your door and be like, hey, I need uninterrupted time. I got to get this thing done. And so that was a big transition for me. So I know you asked me uh, the question. It was loaded. I went all over the place with that answer. But I think the answer is the answer is I don't think that, in my opinion, there's a four hour work week. Again, once you're established, if you've been a business owner for 20 years, you've got a team of people that can check on all the things that you need. Then you could probably have a four hour work week because you can meet with your leadership team once a week for an hour or two hours, you know, during that week. Have them report out on what they were able to achieve from the week prior what they need maybe is some guidance or help from you on, and maybe you can achieve that. But yeah. until you have a team built out, you're going to be involved in the day-to-day of the business. So to me, four hours a week is unrealistic. Yeah. And 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 I'll add my, my opinion. I don't yeah. like the four-hour work week. I think yeah. that, that book and that kind of mindset has ruined a lot of mm-hmm. – I don't know. I, I see that deteriorating a lot of things in our country mm-hmm. going forward. I'm not going to dive into that, but, yeah, I'm not – I think we're all here meant to do something and to help people, obviously what you're doing, give mm-hmm. back and continue to grow. But yep. anyways, I have a uh, entrepreneurial mindset, so it's a little different. Yeah. You brought up uh, when you quit your job, the, the structure and trying to structure your days. I don't think that's talked enough about. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's talked enough when people are quitting their jobs. And a lot of people that listen to this podcast have been on, have quit their jobs somewhat recently. And it's not really talked about. It's like, how do I go from somewhat of a corporate structure? Uh, even myself, I was in outside sales. I kind, I made up my day, but I was basically told when to be in and, and somewhat when to leave. Mm-hmm. So how do you, uh, to me, you're, you're not just HR, you're a business coach as well. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it, and from the sounds of it, you're more of a business coach. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you're also working with your clients on is, creating a schedule or do they not need that? No, I think they all need it. Uh, I mean, I even need it at times. Right. I mean, like, yeah. so like my schedule today is planned out to the, like the hour. <laughs> so it's kind of crazy, but I think it comes down to proper planning, right? With proper planning comes good execution and results. When we don't plan, usually we're planning to fail. And so, you know, like for me personally, what we do at our company is my wife and I, we meet on Sundays. Usually we talk about our schedule, what's going on during the week we have a Google calendar we keep as a team. I have everybody's on uh, my team. I have access to their calendars. And then in addition to that, I keep like a to-do list, you know, for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So I start my week on Monday. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all the way through Sunday. I know what my appointments are. I have things that are coded as work that have to get done. I have stuff that's coded as personal. 
So as you know, I went through a big life change, you know, with my health. And so I've lost like 104 pounds. And so like being able to work out every day is is a critical thing for me. Now, some days like Thursdays are usually booked from eight o'clock until nine o'clock at night. So 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. I maybe have 30 minutes in between there to grab something to eat. Otherwise, it's go, 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 go. So that day, it's really hard for me to get a workout in. So I either have to get up really early or I'm working out really late at night. Otherwise, I'm trying to put that, that might be my lunch hour. So again, like time blocking, scheduling, using your calendar, the to-do list. And then, you know, I think one of the things as an entrepreneur, it's real easy to stress about. And it's easy to stress about this if you're a W-2 employee for somebody. But, you know, you got to do that one horrible thing that you just dread doing. And if you've ever read Brian Tracy's book, Eat That Frog, there's a psychology around time management. So you do the worst thing you have to do first thing in the morning. You cross it off. There's an endorphin high that happens. People get excited and energized. Then maybe, you know, you celebrate by going get a cup of coffee or tea or I don't drink any of that stuff, but I drink a lot of sparkling water. So I'll get a sparkling water, maybe take a quick break, and then I jump back in because I felt good because I accomplished something I did. Or um, if you've ever read the book, uh, we're reading it in in the legacy family group that I help uh, lead the mastermind with on our Thursday calls. It's called Make Your Bed by Admiral William McRaven. And so it, it talks about the daily disciplines and the habits. And so you make your bed. It's the first thing you did. You can reflect and say, oh, at least I made my bed today. Right. And so then those things, there's a, a habit of success because they build upon one another. And so doing those things, um, I think, are super important. And, and again, like emails, emails, for example, like if you have a, your phone, our phones, unfortunately, have become electronic leashes to us. Right. And when I worked in the corporate world, I would have a personal phone and I would have a work phone. And I was so bad, like every five seconds it would ding and I'm checking my phone and then I'm never fully present. And so I got into a habit now where I usually check my email and this is normal. You know, some days I, I go against this if I'm traveling or whatever, I might check it more frequently. But I try to check my email once during the morning, once in the afternoon and then once at night before I go to bed. And then I set the expectation with my clients or people, hey, I'll get back to you within 24 hours. And even if it's, hey, I, I don't I don't have all those answers. I need to get back to you. At least I'm responding and there's some type of communication that happens. Yeah, that's awesome. I, so much, so much information. So I want to ask, uh, so myself right now, I'm, I have a smaller team. I have a full-time district manager. I'm looking for an operations manager mm-hmm. and I've put out ads on LinkedIn, Indeed, mm-hmm. Facebook groups that are in towns where our storage facilities are located have had some res- some responses. Um, I've met some people on site. I probably should have called you, <laughs> but what does your I guess what does your package look like as far as do you do one off hires? Mm-hmm. Um, do you do ongoing training? Mm-hmm. Can you do just one call? Like how does your how do your packages I guess look as far yeah. as when people need help? Yeah. So as far as recruiting goes, you know, we have a Dennis George is our recruiting and sales manager. So he leads our recruiting division. He's got 28, 29 years of recruiting experience. He came from a much larger recruiting firm where he managed a team of 20 recruiters. Um, and so when we do recruiting, we first of all, we only recruit on full time W2 team member positions. Uh, okay. We don't work on commission only. We don't work on independent contractor roles. And the main reason for that, John, is that a lot of times those individuals that are trying to code those people as independent contractors are probably violating the IRS regulations. 
when you start telling people what days and times to work, you're treating them like a W2 employee, right? And so there's well, that. There, yeah, let's let's dive into that because I do have, and I think a lot of people that are in my circle, we have mm-hmm. a bunch of 1099s mm-hmm. and it's not a set schedule. It's like, here's some tasks yep. and it may change week to week. I know my CPAs told me one thing, but what's your take on 1099 between W2 and why should you convert? If you have 1099, why should you convert to a W2? Yeah, I mean, to me, and this is going to sound harsh, but do you want a real business or do you want just a bunch of subcontractors that work for you, right? If they're uh, W-2 full-time team members, you can kind of control their schedule. You can give them goals and objectives. You can, you know, shift their priorities. Um, You have more, you know, there's more cost to it. There's more expense because, like, as a 1099 person, you're not paying for FICA, which is Social Security and Medicare. You're not paying for their workers' comp. You're not paying unemployment insurance. And you're not giving them paid time off, paid holidays. Most small business owners are not going to be able to offer medical, dental, vision, you know, retirement. That just doesn't happen initially. So there's some costs. And I would say it's about anywhere from 12 to 15 percent higher to have that W-2 team member versus a 1099. But if you are going to have 1099s, they should be, to your point, like task oriented. They can do them whenever they want. You know, there's no set you know demand or schedule for that. Um, they should, in my opinion, have the 1099 person in an LLC. It should be in an LLC name, not in like Joe Smith or Bobby Smith's name or Sally Smith's name. So it should be in an LLC. They should also potentially have other clients or people that they're working with. You should have an independent contractor agreement that talks about scope of work, when they're paid, if things you know go south, how you're going to like end the, sever the relationship. Maybe a non-solicit, non-disclosure agreement, maybe a non-compete. That's usually in an independent contractor agreement. That independent contractor should have a COI, certificate of insurance, in case there's any issues that they bring. Um, and then I'm old school, and, and I've seen it, unfortunately, the, the ugly side of it. But I would probably minimum do the background check, if not do a drug screen as well on an independent contractor. So if you're going to do all those things, why not spend the extra 12 to 15 percent, hire them as a W2 team member. You can then control their schedule. You have more say on what they're doing. Because again, if they're a 1099 and you need them to get something done right away, they may have three other clients that they're working with. So they already kind of have one foot out the door. So they're probably going to be doing other things for other people. And they're not going to be just dedicated waiting for John, you know, a call and say, hey, I got to get that done right away. And so is it more of a pain sometimes to manage or lead people that are W-2? The answer is yes. Because even though like you and I are both in Ohio, we're at employment at Will State. But it doesn't mean you can let somebody go because they wore a gray shirt and you only like the color black, right? There's got to be just cause. And so when we look at just cause, you know, I like to focus on performance issues. And so does it take a little bit longer if you have to let somebody go? The answer is yes. But if I'm doing my job and I'm a human being and I care about people, you know, if Sally or Billy Smith don't do something right, I'm going to coach them first. I'm going to give them an opportunity to learn that. Maybe did I look in the mirror and say, you know what, did I train them the right way? Did I give them the tools, resources, and support to be successful? If I didn't, that's not a, a Sally or a Billy problem. That's a Scott problem, right? And so being able to understand that I'm a big proponent of when you do, like when you have an employer or a team member, you should be doing a daily huddle meeting with your team, high level, what's going on today? What do we got that is priority? This is where I'm going to be. What do you need from me? 10, 15 minutes, done. This part of that comes from the, the, the traction book. Part of that, I've done this in my entire corporate career before I even read Traction. And then we would do a weekly like team meeting, talk about what did we do to achieve the objectives, look at our key performance indicators, look at our goals, 
what's got everybody got going on in their departments. There's a report out. And then I'm a huge fan when you have W2 team members, you meet with them once a month minimum, and you're doing a one-on-one meeting. What did they do really well in the past month? Where do they need to improve upon? How did they track towards their KPIs and their uh, goals and objectives? But also what support and resources do they need from me as their leader? What do they need from the team? And again, it allows us to build relationships. And so my function being in human resources, like when you have good relationships with your people, you know this, John, like you'll run through the wall, right, for that person. And so it's about building that team and that camaraderie. And, you know, we're not robots, right? We're not people that have no emotions. And people, unfortunately, including myself at times, we bring personal into the workplace. So the better relationships we have with our team, the more that they're going to know that we have their back and we support them and the harder they're going to work for you typically. There's more of a motivation there because they don't want to let John or Scott down. And so I know this is a long-winded answer to your question, but I think to me, like if you want to really grow a business, you have W2 team members. Now, not saying you can't have 1099 people as well. You know, like for example, if you're doing renovations and it might be, you know, a subcontractor that's doing those renovations on a property, then it probably makes sense to have, you know, a subcontractor. But if you have multiple properties that you're trying to renovate in a geographic area, you might be better off hiring a project manager or someone to lead those or, you know, general maintenance technicians to go and do that work because you might be able to save yourself some cost. And so I think it's understanding the risk versus the reward and also figuring out, again, this is why to your going back to your question earlier, the four hour work week is kind of garbage, right? Because if I have a team of people, I may spend four hours a week just talking to my team and managing them and leading expectations because, this is a Scott Hannes phrase, and you can use this. Just give me a little credit. People either live up or they live down to expectations, right? Yeah. But if you don't communicate those and they're not clear to the employer, the team member, or the 1099 person, you failed them. It's not a Scott Hannes problem from like, I didn't do the work. It's a Scott Hannes leadership problem because I didn't communicate that to them. Yeah, no, that makes sense. What What's one of the biggest common challenges that you run into when you meet with a new client? So it's different from consulting versus recruiting. I would say recruiting, you know, and you asked the question, like, what do we do for recruiting? So we work all across the U.S. We fill roles from CEOs of companies all the way down to like office administrators, office assistants. Um, and usually it's the, the, the client doesn't know what they want. Right. And, and so like we'll help them. Part of our process when we work with a recruiting client is we help them develop the job description, the duties of that role. We do a wage study analysis to figure out what they may need to pay that person to be market competitive. Um, we help them again. Our processes, you know, like you mentioned, Indeed and LinkedIn, we'll use those tools, but we do a lot more targeted recruiting based upon your pain points. We ask you a bunch of questions, and then it's our job to go find candidates that fit what you're looking for. And again, we don't do any type of, um, you know, I don't care. Like we have clients sometimes, John, be like, oh, I want to hire this young person. Well, guess what? That That's not our job. We can't do that. We're going to give you the most qualified person, regardless of age, race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, et cetera. Like none of that stuff matters to us, right? We want to find the most qualified person. And so we then, you know, talk to them. We, we have a write-up on why we feel they're a good fit. We give you the resume. And then it's up to our clients to say, yes, we want to interview or no, we don't. The, the big challenge sometimes is just time with our, our clients. And so like we want feedback within 24 hours of when we present a candidate because we want to know, are we hitting the mark? What are we missing? But if we've already done all the vetting to me, like we work on contingency for recruiting. So no one pays us unless they hire someone that we present. So why not at least take the 15 minutes, half hour, hour, and have that conversation with somebody that we vetted, right? And so 
to me, I, I think that's part of our process. And then let's say, you know, you like the candidate. Sometimes people jump into hiring too quickly. And so like, you know, maybe having a, a second interview and getting other team members to also interview that candidate to get their buy-in and feedback. And it's a collaborative decision versus like a rush to hire somebody. I see that sometimes as a, an issue. Um, but then we will also even help our clients write the offer letter because of the HR side of, you know, what we do. So we'll help with that. We'll help set up the interviews. And in, in then like with our process, we charge a flat percentage of first year salary. Most recruiting firms charge 25 to 35%. We only charge 20% because we don't have some of the overhead of having an office. So we can get away with charging 20% of first year salary. Um, but on the recruiting side, to answer your direct question, I think a lot of times people have unrealistic expectations on the salary range. They want to pay as little as possible. And again, you got to remember some of the competitive advantage that we had before the pandemic was that you could work remotely, right? Or you had flexibility. Now there's a lot of companies that offer, you know, remote work or flexibility. So that competitive advantage went away. It's gone. So again, part of our process when we hire or we work with our clients to hire people is understanding what their competitive advantage is. What's their culture all about? Why should someone come work for you and your organization? And then it's our job to make sure we talk to people about that as we're interviewing candidates for the role. But what happens is, you know, an owner will say, I want to pay someone $50,000, but the market wage study that we did, and we use things like Conexa and ERI and salary.com and some free sites, but we kind of get a range for what that is. And what normally happens, John, is they'll say, we only can afford 50K. Well, instead of getting, everybody wants the A player, top star candidate, what's going to happen though is you're probably getting a C level or D level person at that 50,000. So then it's unrealistic expectations from the start. And then you got to remember if you're a small business and you don't offer medical, dental, vision, retirement, and another company does, let's say like Bank of America, right? You're going to have, your candidate pool goes from maybe a hundred people that were interested down to maybe 70. And then based upon their experience, it gets shrunk even more. And so not having some of those things in place, I'm not saying at two people, you got to have benefits. You just got to be realistic on the quality of talent you're going to get. Now, can you go find a purple unicorn or a purple squirrel, someone that matches exactly what you want, that only wants to make this amount of money? The answer is yes. But like, for example, we have a client, we presented like 30 candidates to this client and there's always something that's wrong. You're not going to find an exact match either when it comes to recruiting. They may have 80% of it and you got to be good with those at 80%, right? Especially if you're not offering the benefits and especially if you're not offering a higher comp range, you got to be okay with, I'm going to hire someone at 80% of the job and I'm going to spend the time to develop and train them and work with them to get the remaining 20%. Not saying we don't want someone who's resourceful and can Google that stuff and figure things out on their own or go to seminars or whatever, or listen to podcasts like the Do More podcast to pick up knowledge. But at the end of the day, we need somebody that's going to help us and be resourceful. And so on the recruiting side, John, that's a long-winded answer. That's the biggest challenge. On the consulting side, I, I think it's the lack of action. So I'll mm-hmm. work with clients and we talk about stuff and we talk about stuff. And there was one client I worked with for over two and a half years. And I think I said at least once every quarter, I'm like, why are you paying me? <laughs> because we're not doing anything. We're not moving the needle. And so I... I Personally, I don't enjoy recruiting as much because I can't control what happens in the activity. I can't control whether a candidate shows up to work. I can't control how a client treats that candidate. So that drives me nuts. That's why I let Dennis and our recruiting team take care of it. I do all the consulting work. I have more control over that. But what drives me nuts on the consulting is 
you know, if you're a client of ours, John, and I'm like, hey, we got to get these three things done and we meet the next week and there's an executive you know, meeting and you don't do any of it. Like, I don't want to hear the excuses about why things weren't done. It's you failed. Right. And if I was to give you a grade, you get enough. And so, again, do you really want to move the needle or do you not? And again, if you are paying me, like I'm not cheap from a consulting standpoint, but if you're paying me, utilize my expertise, my knowledge. Do I know everything? The answer is no. Do I know a lot more than a lot of other people? The answer is yes. Do I know like best practices and what to do and not to do? Yes. But at the end of the day, you have to take the final action. And so that's probably the hardest part with consulting is that we talk about a lot of stuff sometimes and then nothing gets implemented or we talk in circles and nothing gets implemented. And I try to bring it back. And again, because it's not my business and I'm not in the day to day, I have no control over that. Yep. Yep. No, I can see that. Every time I every time I talk to you and listen to you, I'm always like, I should have made this change a year ago. It's tough. It's, you know, especially as entrepreneurs, we're probably a lot of us, I know myself for sure, stubborn and it's, you know, it's it's a good thing and a bad thing at the same yeah. time. Um, I know you're on you're on timeline here, so I've got one question until then we I want to get into um your mastermind, what you're doing there okay. before we let you go. Um so give us your Minute, two minute answer. I know you're a ton of you're full of information, so I want to try to put the time limit on this for uh, for your sake. So goals. So when you go to, uh, we'll we'll just start from the beginning. When you go with a new client, mm-hmm. you sit down. How do you start to formulate their goals? That's a great question. Uh, it's a long and probably more in the minute or two minute. Yeah, answer. I will do the best I can yeah, to keep it concise. I, I think number one, you have to look at where you came from. What did you achieve in the last twelve months? looking at your profit and loss statements. Again, that's something else too. A lot of entrepreneurs, we don't have good P&Ls. We don't have our good financial records. But if you have that stuff, we look at that. We look at what was the revenue? What was the margin or profit we made? You know, What maybe were our top five revenue sources? Where can we possibly leverage relationships and grow things? I look at you know the organizational chart. Who do we maybe need to add to the team? I think that's important, like key hires that you need to make. I also, you know, if they have values in place or you know, uh, guiding principles. We'll look at that to see if any of those tweaks need to be made from a cultural standpoint. We will look at, uh, is there any new market industries or things we need to get into? I'm big on doing SWOT analysis, which is strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. You look at your own internal business. You look at your three main competitors, not to like worry about what they're doing, but to figure out, hey, can I pick something up and implement that into my company? So we'll look at that. We also will look at... um, you know, what is the exit strategy that we may want to have in the near future? We also will get into, um, you know, as far as uh, is, are there companies we may need to consider? Do we want to acquire another company? I think that becomes super important. Um, and then looking at, you know, any other goals or objectives they had from the prior year, you know, what things were achieved, what things were not achieved, did business items, you know, pivot or change? I would look at each of the departments and figure out what were the initiatives or projects we need to, you know, again, continue to do in order to reach our top line goals. Because goals should be, in my opinion, set from the top of the organization and then cascaded down to everybody else on the team. Um, I like getting team members involved in the process. So it's not just, hey, you know, Scott and John are going to meet today and we're going to go over all the goals. Instead, I want everybody to be a part of that process. And so we get their buy-in, we get their feedback. Um you know, Evo and Taylor, who we uh, you know, own uh, Impact Alliance with my, my wife and I, 
like they do something where they add out like a personal goal into their goal setting. And then I like to use the smart goal format. So things that are very specific, measurable, achievable or attainable, relevant or result driven. And then the T, the timeliness. And again, your goals can be set off of also your job description. They can be set off your K performance indicators. They can be set off of project based goals. Like I mentioned, it could be based upon behavioral goals or it could be based on like that BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal that Jim Collins talks about and just understanding where you're going as an organization. And so to me, like I'm doing a lot of goal setting right now with clients. It's understanding all of those things. And usually, you know, it's a, it's a day process to really set efficient goals and doing all those things. And some people know that information, some people don't. So it's trying to figure out where do you want to go. And I think sometimes what happens is those goals are set and they're not realistic, right? So for example, if you're a business, let's say you're a service-based organization, you own a heating and cooling company and you did a million dollars and you know how to back and reverse engineer your numbers. And let's say you want to do 2.2 million dollars in in 24, right? So you know you got to hit a certain dollar amount each month. You know you got to hit a certain dollar amount maybe weekly. And so it's breaking those things down to more attainable chunks. And but then looking at again, what's our average ticket cost when we go out and do a job? And you know how many plumbers are not plumbers, uh, heating and cooling people do we have? What revenue can they generate? And if we don't have enough team members, do I need to go hire two more people? And when do I need to hire them in order to hit those goals and objectives? So to me, it's a very systematic approach based upon the goals that the organization wants to take. And then again, are there acquisition opportunities because there's growth uh, organically inside the organization that you can do by increasing your marketing spend on the different marketing channels? Or is it inorganic growth like we did with Evo and Taylor last year where we bought a company and we added to the revenue and the bottom line by buying another organization? So it's understanding those things and those concepts that help you, in my opinion, have an effective planning process. That's awesome. That's so much information in there. So much stuff that everyone can implement. So tell us before we go, tell us about your new mastermind. Tell us what I guess people are getting out of it. And then you said something about one-off events too, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, tell us about all that. So uh, besides like the, the, because the Fortitude HR solutions, like all the current clients we have for recruiting, that still stays. We still do that. We still have some one-on-one stuff that we do with our current retainer clients on the consulting side. But Impact Alliance uh, was formed by Evo Taylor and Laura and I. And again, it's around the word impact, right? How do we make a bigger difference? How can we help more people? Um, And that really kind of came to fruition for me personally, because, you know, two and a half years ago, I had a near death experience and, you know, like I realized life is short. And again, I want to act like, again, going back to what we talked about a lot during this uh, meeting or this call is just helping more people. And so we did our first event in Cancun in October. We had 25 people there. Um, We rented a, we had a catamaran boat. We went out on the ocean, had a great talk about like mindset and limiting beliefs and, uh, we went through, like, I would, I would say your business fundamental things as far as, again, core values, organizational chart, standard operating procedures, key performance indicators. And then we also talked a little bit about like best hiring practices and kind of what you need to look at. Um, but the, the, the goal of Impact Alliance really is to have these types of like retreats or business masterminds, whatever you want to call them. We'll do that probably twice a year. And then instead of doing like when I do a two day uh, strategic deep dive or it could be three or four days, depending upon the size of the client, I normally would give them way too many key deliverables. And so I'd walk away and a client would get like anywhere between 80 and 100 documents. So like, what the hell do I do with all this stuff? And so 
instead of giving them all that at once, we're breaking it down into monthly workshops. So like in February of this year, we'll do a people and HR workshop in Cleveland. And then in March, we're going to do another business retreat. April, I think we're going to do operations or sales and marketing. Like we've got a whole schedule built out. And so we're going to do those workshops either in Cleveland, Ohio, or in uh, the Warrington, Virginia area, Northern Virginia area. And then the business retreats will be done, you know, somewhere else. We did the one, like I said, in October in Cancun. We may keep it in the U.S. just because of travel uh, restrictions for some people with not having a passport. But we want to make it so, again, they can think outside the box, just like with LFG Mastermind that you and Ian have. It's working on the business and not in the business. Working, you know, with other people that are like-minded that might be going through some of the same pain points or thresholds in their business and how do they break through. Uh, we are also probably going to do some type of like um, Zoom or private Facebook group for the event. Some of the stuff's just all being built out. So it's it's very new. But the idea is that we impact other people and we help other people. And so we're excited about that venture. Uh, we have another event coming up in December. Uh, I think it's the 16th. It's on a Saturday. Just a one-day mastermind thing that we're going to do at Lake Anna, uh, Virginia. And the idea, again, there is to you know have a couple speakers and talk about some concepts and, again, what people can do and not charge as much as we did for the business retreat because it's you know in the U.S. versus being out in Mexico. So. Sure. So these are all one-off events. It's not a group. Is that right? So right now it's not formed as a group, but we will have a group aspect that we have just not have done yet. Um, so sure. when I go to Virginia here in December, uh, Evo and Taylor, Laura and I are going to like work through some of those details. That's awesome. No, I'm, I'm, I, for one, definitely interested workshops. I know you invited me to the one in Cancun. Unfortunately, yeah. we had our, uh, LG yeah, at the yeah. same time, but Definitely interested. Um, definitely let me know. And I'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll post it on my social too. So anyone that's listening right now can get that information. But obviously you provided so much information today. Um, if anyone wants to reach out, have questions, may want to look for consulting, business coaching, HR, your masterminds, events, anything, how can they find you? So uh, info at fortitudehrsolutions.com. They can email us there. They can send a message, DM on you know Facebook, Instagram, go to LinkedIn, send me a message. Uh, so you know, our marketing team and myself and my wife, we manage those accounts. So whatever we can do to help out and uh, just add value, that's what it's all about. It's awesome. Yeah, you're pretty easy to find. Yep. And very giving. Very, very giving. So, Try to be. Try to be. Again, appreciate you coming on. Tons of information. And uh, we'll see you next time. Sounds good. Thanks, John. Appreciate you. Thanks for following, subscribing, and listening to this episode of the Do More podcast hosted by John Farling. To learn more or ask questions, go to l4investing.com.